Hello, and welcome to this episode of Muskegon History and Beyond from the Lakeshore Museum Center. Today's topic is about a man you probably have not heard of, Lawrence Hogan. Lawrence was a lifetime Muskegon resident who appeared frequently in the Muskegon Chronicle, but not always for good reasons. Let's get into his life story and why he may be one of Muskegon County's most frequent litigants. Lawrence Hogan was born in 1866 in Grand Rapids to John and Catherine Hogan. When Lawrence was five years old, the family moved to Eggleston Township. The Hogan family had a farm, and the 1880 census listed the then 15-year-old Lawrence as a farmer. In 1887, Lawrence was elected as a constable for Eggleston Township. The first appearance of Lawrence in the Muskegon Chronicle court records is in 1890. He and his brother James were arrested and charged with the assault and battery of James and George Eakwright. The four young men had apparently gotten into a dispute over who owned a calf. In May of 1893, Lawrence again appeared in court on behalf of his brother James. The case was James Hogan versus William Murphy. In January of that year, Murphy and Lawrence Hogan agreed to swap horses unsight and unseen, with the agreement that Murphy would go and get the horse at the Hogan farm the next morning. James Hogan alleges that Murphy took the wrong horse, one belonging to him and not to his brother Lawrence. The task before the court was to figure out the horse's identity. While this trial was going on, Lawrence appeared in the court reports for a personal matter. On July 14, 1893, the Chronicle reported that Lawrence Hogan was granted a decree of divorce from Mary Kinney Hogan on the grounds of extreme cruelty. In this time, cruelty was defined as either physical or mental. This was also before the time of no-fault divorce, so you had to have a reason to get a divorce granted. This was very interesting because at the time, divorce proceedings were usually brought by the wife, not the husband, but it was Lawrence who sought to begin the divorce proceedings. Later that year, in September of 1893, Lawrence remarried to a woman named Alice. They are listed together on the 1900 census with two young children, Eddie and Ella. The census places Eddie's birth date in 1894 and Ella's in 1895. A month after this new wedding, in October of 1893, the court case between the Hogan brothers and William Murphy changed. The Chronicle reported that a jury was being selected for the case of William Murphy versus Lawrence Hogan to settle the issue of a horse. While it is not clear exactly what happened, it appears that the court determined that the horse Murphy collected from the Hogan farm belonged to James. Fast forward a few months, and Murphy brings a suit against Lawrence. It's unknown if this was an attempt to get the correct horse or if it was for some other reason. The court ruled in that case against Lawrence. Lawrence later appealed the case, but he was denied that request for a new trial and was charged $5 for an attorney fee. In October of 1897, Lawrence Hogan reappears in the court reports in the Chronicle this time for an appeal case. Earlier in the year, John Eakwright had won judgment against Lawrence's brother James, who at the time was living with his brother Lawrence. 
Eekwright levied some of James Hogan's farm property. However, Lawrence claimed that the sheep, cow, and colt seized under the levy were in fact his, and thus they were seized illegally. The case put Lawrence against the deputy sheriff at the time, Sheriff Newmeister. In the initial case, Lawrence was granted ownership of the animals, and Sheriff Newmeister appealed. The jury in this case determined that the sheep and cow were Lawrence Hogan's, but that the colt was taken legally. Sheriff Newmeister was granted custody of the colt, but waived the possession and instead took $25 in damages. In 1898, Lawrence Hogan appealed this decision all the way to the Michigan Supreme Court, specifically to try and retain ownership of that colt. The Supreme Court in July of 1898 affirmed the decision of the lower court. Evidently, before the levy on the initial property was done, Lawrence and James made a list of animals that fell into the exempt classes for these types of seizures at the time. The two did not place the colt on the exempt list, and the Supreme Court ruled that the colt could not be found exempt after the fact. Therefore, the damages that Sheriff Newmeister was awarded by the Muskegon Circuit Court was correct. In December of 1898, Lawrence is in a Chronicle article headlined, Two Men Have a Lively Time, Trouble Over Money Matters Brings a Case into Court for Airing. Evidently, Lawrence Hogan had brought charges of assault upon John Benning. Hogan had hitched his team of horses in Benning's feed shed. Benning demanded payment, to which Hogan said it should be covered by the 50 cents Benning already owed him. Hogan then rode off, and Benning pursued him. Hogan claimed that Benning struck him with a horsewhip. Benning claimed that he owed Hogan no money and was simply trying to be paid for the feed that the horses ate. Benning alleged that he only brought his whip up after Hogan reached for his axe. Since there were no other witnesses and the two men's stories varied so wildly, the court dismissed the case. Lawrence Hogan remained out of court for a few years, but in 1902, he was back in court for assault and battery. Constable Adkins had gone to Hogan's farm under his capacity as health officer to discuss the matter of Hogan not burying a dead horse. Hogan claimed that Adkins said a very vulgar epithet and that he was therefore justified in his attack. The jury in the case deliberated for a short time and found Hogan not guilty of that assault. In July of 1904, almost 11 years to the day of his first divorce, Lawrence's wife Alice filed for divorce. Alice alleged that Lawrence called her vile names, attempted to turn the children against her, and threatened to kill her with both an axe and a razor blade on two separate occasions. Alice was also petitioning the court for custody of Ella, the couple's younger daughter. The divorce was granted, and Alice later remarried. It is unclear if Alice was granted custody of Ella at the time, as in the 1910 census, both children are listed as living with Lawrence. In September of 1905, seven of Hogan's cattle herd wandered onto a neighboring property. That farmer, Martin Duff, took custody of Hogan's cattle, though Hogan agreed to pay him $5 for damages the cattle caused. 
Hogan refused and instead retained the services of an attorney to get the cattle returned to him. This case bounced around the court system for several weeks, and ultimately the attorneys involved had to get the Muskegon Circuit Court to compel the Eggleston judge to make a determination in the case. The final ruling was that Duff had no evidence of damages to his field and must therefore return the seven cattle to Lawrence Hogan. In 1908, Lawrence Hogan brought a suit against his neighbor, Leon Cribley, after the death of two cows. Hogan claims that Cribley poisoned his cows with Paris Green by leaving a large container open near their shared fence. Paris Green is an insecticide that was commonly used at the time, mostly to control infestations of potato bugs. However, Paris Green is about 50% arsenic mixed with lime and copper, so it can be fatal to pretty much any living thing. In August of 1908, the court ruled in Hogan's favor, granting him $61.50 in restitution costs for the dead cattle. A month later, in September of 1908, a Grand Rapids Press article is published with the headline, Bite May Be Fatal. That same day, the Chronicle ran an article headlined, Hogan in Danger. Evidently, even though the court settled the issue, Hogan and Cribley were still at odds with one another. The two men got into a fistfight, and at some time during the fight, Cribley bit Hogan on his arm. Cribley was left with bruises, swelling, and several cuts after the fight. Hogan was left with similar bruises, swelling, and cuts, but that bite also left him with tetanus. The Chronicle ends its article by stating that even amputation of the limb may not be enough to save Lawrence Hogan. Lawrence did survive that battle with tetanus with all of his limbs intact. This incident, though, appears to have had an effect on Lawrence, as he appears in no further court reports in the Chronicle. On June 1st, 1921, Lawrence Hogan's name appears for the last time in the Muskegon Chronicle. This time, it is for his death notice. The article states that Lawrence, aged 55, died after a short illness. At the time, his son, Eddie, and granddaughter lived with him. He was also survived by his brothers, James and John. Lawrence Hogan was buried in St. Mary's Cemetery in Muskegon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Muskegon History and Beyond from the Lakeshore Museum Center. I hope you enjoyed learning about Lawrence Hogan and that you will join us again for our next episode. 